I love who I am in work and I don't want to sacrifice that. And I don't want to be made to feel guilty or shame that I don't choose my children at all times. And I love my kids more than anything. They are my hearts living outside of myself. I am a devoted mother and I do want to do things differently than the generations before me did. Welcome to Amplify. We are here to help you own your truth, use your voice and stand out as the most unapologetically aligned, abundant and authentic version of you so that you can make a big impact in the world doing what sets your soul on fire. Because you and I, we are meant to stand the F out. I'm your host, Lauren Salon, and I'm a public relations and marketing expert, entrepreneur, speaker, former on-air entertainment host, and past professional fitness competitor and health coach. And several times per week, I'll be bringing you epic guest conversations and solo episodes along with the tools, tricks, and tips that you need in order to step into your power, own your purpose, and stand out in the world as the most vibrant version of you. Because I believe that the more you you are in the world, the more successful and fulfilled you will be. So what do you say? Are you ready? Let's get amplified because blending in is bullshit. On today's episode, I interview my friend, Lindsay Roselle, who is a growth and performance coach for high achieving women. Lindsay's mission is to help entrepreneurial women feel alignment between their ambition to succeed and their devotion to motherhood through expert growth and performance coaching focused on inner work, mindset mastery, and business strategy. She believes in knowing yourself first, building mental resilience through consistency, and the power of personal alignment to create business scale. Lindsay's methodology focuses on inner work, capacity building, and actionable strategy. She is known to rise before the sun and journal daily in what she calls the dark hour. Lindsay is a mama to two little boys, Sawyer and Wesley, and lives in Northern Colorado with her boys and her partner, R.T. Custer. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today on Amplify. I'm super, super excited to talk to you about all, I mean, you and I were just riffing a little bit before we hit record just now and really excited to dive into all things entrepreneurship motherhood, like trends we're seeing, social media, all of that. So thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. I love this stuff. As you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as you know, we start with some rapid fire. So we're just going to freaking get right into it. Okay. First up, what are you grateful for right now? Man, today I feel grateful for my childcare because my kid is sick and luckily she's here and able to handle him. So I didn't have to cancel a full day of meetings and podcasts. Grateful for cooler temps. I live in Colorado and we've had this weird 90 degree streak in September, but today it's like cold and rainy. Yeah. And I'm really grateful today. I've had two mentorship calls, like my mentors today and grateful for people who push me into places that feel uncomfortable and that I'm you know, my initial response is like, eh, I don't think I can do that. And then I sit with it a little bit and I'm like, oh shit, that is it. That's it. Okay. So I just got done with two of those calls and I'm feeling very inspired to kind of think bigger. So. Oh, I love yeah. that. And I'm going to ask you a question on that when okay. we're done with the rapid fire. All right. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? God. I mean, there's a lot of chocolate in this house and I have to hide it from all of the boys that live here. <laughs> I'd say chocolate. And then these freaking Waterloo bubble waters girl obsessed 
you and I have talked about like spin drip. I literally just oh placed God. a Costco order that'll get delivered later today. I'm like always sparkling water. Yes. I'm like, And I used to not be such like basics bitch with sparkling water and stuff, but for some reason, like 2020, I just like yeah. became obsessed with sparkling water. Well, I blame it on being home so much. And, and like for a while it was like, oh, we can pick up alcohol. Like margaritas at two o'clock from the restaurant and just walk <laughs> home with them. And now I'm like, I still have this, like I'm home all day. I need a drink all day long. And I have obviously water, mm-hmm. but I like the idea of like spicing up my afternoon with a flavor. And so today it's black cherry. Also right? the price, like, have you ever looked at like the real breakdown of how much bubble water costs for a can? You know, I'm like, this is like $2 of water. And so when my kids drink three sips and pour it out, I'm always like, ah, <laughs> but no. Well, I have this ridiculous habit of usually I don't drink my sparkling water until nighttime. Like similarly, it's like a fancy treat for some reason. It's like my evening ritual and yeah. And I do the like no sugar one. So it's like really like plain too. And it feels like such a treat for me. And I will have like three in the evenings. And for some freaking reason, like, I feel like I love like drinking one in bed. Like I'll sometimes like dick around on my phone a little bit in bed. Sometimes I'm like, you know, for an hour posting memes or whatever, but like enjoy one in bed or while I'm watching an episode of something like that. But like, I just love drinking a sparkling water and what you said earlier, a little piece of chocolate in bed too. And sometimes I'm like, well, I'm ready for sleep and I've had two sips of this. So it's just going to stay there until the morning. But I do that in the morning where I'm like, girl, you know, drinking a sip of this, then tossing it. I don't care if it's flat. (laughs) You're drinking the rest of that sparkling water. Like warm, flat, sparkling water is the worst. (laughs) Actually. It's so good when it's like fresh out of the fridge. And then for Uh, 10 minutes after that, and then it's pretty much gross. Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) We need to invest in Waterloo for sure. Waterloo sponsor our podcast. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, Waterloo, Spindrift, LaCroix. I'm not too picky. Costco generic Kirkland brands, you name it. It'll do. Name it. <laughs> what is a random fact that most people would not know about you? I was recruited by the CIA out of college. Shut up. Yeah. What? I got a job offer. I was going to be in the clandestine service after graduating from college. And the reason I didn't go that I didn't take the job was because I had gotten a puppy during the nine month security clearance process. I had gotten a puppy like an idiot. And when they called me up and were like, okay, you got to move to DC, then you're going to go to boot camp and you're going to be deployed overseas, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what about my dog? And they're like, yeah, what? You can't bring a puppy to Washington. Like you're going to be in the CA. What are you, what? And I was like, well, I have this puppy. I don't think I can go. So I gave it up. I didn't do it. And I stayed in the corporate job that I had already gotten at that point. And here we are. Yeah. So it's funny though. Because in my corporate job, I ended up traveling all over the world a lot. And I was like working uh-huh. in this ambiguous like sales role for an energy company. My dad really thought I was in the CIA for many years. Like that was my cover job. <laughs> Wait a second. So what kind of things were you going to be doing? Like what kind of? Well, so this was. 2000... I guess with CIA, it's like everything, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have been a spy. What was so... your like, did you have like a specific special skill? Well, I had taken Russian in college, so. Okay. They had basically said I would be in Europe and, you know, they didn't tell me too much because obviously it, they wouldn't have given me too much info until I got in. They would have to kill you. But, um, right, right. (laughs) But yeah, I would have been in clandestine service, most likely in Europe. And that was 2005. So, you know, that was while they were still hunting bin Laden and all of the 
the like war on terror and all that stuff was still really potent. And so every time I've ever seen Zero Dark Thirty, I'm like, hold like because Jessica Chastain played a character who entered the CIA like the same year that I would have come in. So I was like, damn, that could have been me. I found Bin Laden. Anyway, little known fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is so I legit still have moments where I'm like, God, if I had a redo button, like I love my kids, I love my life, but man, like there's something about my like patriotism at this point in like America where I'm like, fuck it. I wish I could kind of re-push the button. Yeah. That's really cool. Fun fact. Fun fact. I used to want, like, I love that. I used to want to be like, you know, yeah, yeah. Thought being in the CIA would be super freaking cool. Yeah. Right. Or like some sort of like detective or something like that. I always thought that would be like so interesting and like exciting and badass and stuff. How I think it really like tickles the ambition of a lot of us, like the, like save the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew the parallel? (laughs) Well, I think we answered my next question. So, because I asked everyone the same rapid fire questions. And the next one is, if you weren't doing what you do now, what kind of job or career would you have that would be like super like cool? Like even if it doesn't make sense, just like that dream thing. And it shit, it might just, yeah, sage. It's that. I mean, like, it's not like if I won the lottery, I'd go like call up the CIA and be like, hey, I'm 40 now. Like I've got two kids. Can I come be a spy? You know, I wouldn't do it <laughs> as present me, but if you had like yeah. the do- alternate the, universe. Like, choose your own adventure, take the other blue pill. Like, yeah, I would, I'd probably go back and try that path. Yeah. That's awesome. What did you want to be when you were little? I've tried to find this in my inner work, in my inner child stuff. I'm like, what did I think I was going to do? You know? And I think I always thought I would like be an astronaut or the president or like something, all those like really general things that you're like shown in third grade that are like careers, you know? that have some kind of bigness to them, but I never actually felt super anchored in like the passion of any of that. It was definitely always about like the notoriety of something or the the power of something, which okay. shows up in the rest of my life pretty. Yeah. I'm like, are you an yeah, Enneagram three? Oh God. Yes. Like <laughs> to the core in Enneagram three. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, hmm, let me take a guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I love this. Like, any weird talents or special skills? So you said you used to speak Russian or know it. I took Russian in college, not like to fluency, but I had some like basic level. I definitely have never used it. You know, there's not a whole lot of use for Russian in the middle of Colorado. So that I know of. So I don't have that anymore. I mean, I special talents. I mean, I have like weird bendy fingers and thumbs. Like I'm making, if you're not watching this on video, yeah, like hitchhiker's thumbs. Like I've really yeah double jointed a lot. And But no, I like, that's the thing. I'm so driven in such an Enneagram three, but I don't have any like special talent that makes me super good or unique at anything. It's just like pure will to succeed. Yeah. Right. That, Hey, that works. Yeah. When is the last time that you cried? Oh God, earlier today on these calls, like, you know, having mentors who are incredibly successful people be like, Lindsay, you're not thinking big enough. And Mm. here's why, you know, and like the, the mirror holding up the mirror of self-doubt and playing small. And like, I had a major moment looking at somebody, actually, we both know that, you know, is kind of teasing out a new thing that she's going to be launching. That's very similar to mine. And she's got a huge audience and I don't. And, you know, and I, like, I immediately feel this like shame of like, I should have started sooner. I should be further along and she's going to be successful and I'm not, you know, and I'm like, God, that shit is so potent, even this far into this journey. Right. And no matter how much work you do, it's so easily triggered. So 
Yeah, today. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, when did I last pray? I don't know this week yet. Wow, shocking. Knock on wood. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Later today. Right. <laughs> When's the last time that you laughed so hard you almost peed your pants? Oh man. God. I mean, I feel like something happens on the weekly, probably like this weekend with something one of my children did or said. Our five-year-old's in the phase of like calling us by our first names, which is just very like shocking. Like he walks down the stairs in the morning and he's like, Hey, RT, I want a bagel. And you're like, Oh, RT is my partner. Good morning, sir. Yeah. And I'm like, are you ready for your board meeting later? Can you say please? Like, and and RT like hates it. And so he's always like, I'm dad, like call me dad. And he's like, cool RT. Yeah. Bagel. You know, it's just, just these little moments, like the little moments of kids sometimes where you're you read the memes before your mom, you're like, you see memes of stuff like kids are the worst on Instagram and stuff. And you're like, oh yeah. And then your kids actually do that shit. And you're like, oh my God, this is like a little human who I, yes, I'm his parent, but I don't actually have control over him. And he says yeah. shit sometimes where you're just like, excuse me. So it was probably something like that. Cause he was on a roll this weekend of just, you know, sass. I love it. So yeah. fun. What's your favorite meal? Ooh. You know, I've recently in the last year, I've gotten more into like a good steak. I think I spent so many years with like body dysmorphia, not eating red meat and thinking that, you know, everything had to be low fat and all that. Now I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going to be at a nice restaurant. I'm not going to order freaking chicken. Okay. I like oh can gosh, eat chicken no. at home. I'm going to order steak. So yeah, I'd say like a good filet, a good ribeye. Yeah. All right. And where's the next place that you want to travel to? Oh, wow. I mean, I've been in 40 countries in my lifetime, so I've seen a lot of the world and there's places that I don't want to go back to. And then some that I feel like (laughs) seeing them again as like in a new world. India is amazing. I'd love to go to Iceland and see Iceland. Everybody says it's incredibly beautiful. My favorite place in the whole world is Oslo, Norway. If you've never been, it's beautiful. I would always go back there. It's just such a beautiful, clean, like healthy, friendly country for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, I like India for anytime I feel like entitled or ungrateful. I'm just like, oh, I maybe I should plan a trip to India because it's such a shock to your senses to land there and to like walk out of the airport that's clean and big and walk into what is, you know, everyday India. Yeah. And I just, I remember those trips and feeling so much like how easy and spacious our lives in America are compared to countries like that. And how my nervous system, like you just, it's such an instantaneous calibration to like a heightened level of stimulation and then like coming home and feeling like renewed and having spaciousness. So I'm feeling drawn to like that kind of experience lately of a little bit of like shake up the comfort perspective shift. Yeah. And like get a little uncomfortable again. You know, I've lived for several years now in a very comfortable existence. So, yeah. Okay. Which segues into the question I wanted to ask about like calls with your mentors and stuff like that of, you know, being in that comfort zone and you being challenged to play bigger. So like, I'm curious, like in what ways or what were you kind of, what blocks were you coming up against? Cause for everyone who listens, like Lindsay and I have known each other for a couple of years and she has had several successful businesses. And you like, I mean, even as we were talking with the, you know, CIA and all that stuff, like you fucking make shit happen and 
have created a lot of results in your life. So I'm super, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious what that, like what those blocks are that, like, what is that expansion or that next level that you're playing with right now? Yeah. I mean, in fairness, like I've had several failures too, and those are actually more recent and more like potently feel like I keep saying the word potent. Cause that's like my word right now. I'm like, I want everything I do to feel really potent. Cause I'm sick of just all the watered down bullshit. And I also that those failures feel fresh and they feel scary. You know, like I say it a lot on, on my podcast where I'm like, I have this weird fear of getting canceled because of what happened in 2020, both to me personally with one of my businesses here in our local market, cause it was a local business. And just how the world feels after 2020, where it's like, if you come out in any kind of statement about your belief system around something, you don't just get to be you and have people scroll by if they don't agree. You've got to like ardently defend constantly. That kind of like edginess, especially, you know, I focus on motherhood and ambition. And I'm like, if somebody's going to come at me about my approach to motherhood, it just feels so vulnerable. And so it just is a place that makes me kind of want to like hide in a hole, you know, like, I don't want to have to defend this to you, weird person on the internet. And so I have a lot of that, like fear of visibility, I guess, even though I have no problem, like you could hand me a microphone in front of 10,000 people. I'll talk all day. Like I'm not scared of being seen. It's more like, I won't get it outright, or I won't say it in the way that I mean it, or that somebody would call my validity into question. And that's really- People are going to skew it, right? Yeah. Grab it and run with it. Yeah. And so that's really holding me back. And it has been for probably Mm -hmm. like six to 12 months since I really, well, about six months since I did the ayahuasca journey and had this epiphany about focusing on motherhood and everything in my business. Cause I used to do much more like pure business strategy for female entrepreneurs. And I was really successful in that. But that like good at that, but I'm not super passionate about that, you know? And since adding in the motherhood piece, it just feels like this heightened level of vulnerability, but also heightened level of importance. And so I get mixed up in my mind around like, it's so important. I need to get it out. I need to go faster. I need to go bigger, but I'm so scared. I don't want to get called out and I don't want to do it wrong. And I want it to be perfect. And it's like the paralysis of perfection constantly. And so what these mentors were saying to me is like, I'm also very opposed to building like, a personal brand coaching company. Cause that's just, I think coaching is this big word that gets used a lot as a catch-all word for what we all do in some capacity, but I'm really not a coach at heart. I'm more of like a teacher. I'm more of a mentor. Like I have a personal trainer and he's a coach. Like he literally like sits there and coaches me through the process and all these things. And I'm like, sometimes I get annoyed with it. I'm like, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. And then like, you see how I'm doing it and give me some tips. And like, send me some motivation. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. That's because that's who I am. Like, you know, and when I look at what I'm building right now with mother load, what I think the need is versus what my talents are, it's really not like a personal brand coaching company with the traditional coaching company offers that I think the old model that I see a lot of on the social media and stuff and that I'm comfortable in. I'm like, okay, you do a membership, you do a course, you do a community, you do a high level one-on-one, like all these traditional coaching offer suite, like we're all familiar with. The direction I feel called to go is more in like media company, like content, events, products, you know, like podcasts, consumable content that's inspirational, makes you feel like you're not alone, has a community aspect, but is bigger than me. You know, and when I start to go down the path of like building something bigger than me, I get really, really triggered around, okay, that means I have to have employees. I have to have investors. I have to have like a real business and all this structure and stuff that feels very 
like, I'm not going to have any boundaries in my life and I'm gonna have to work 60 hours a week. And I'm going to have all these people with ideas that I have to listen to. And, you know, so I'm like, I want the personal brand where it's just me and I can wake up at whatever time and do whatever I want and like wear my Lululemon and not care. But I want the impact and I want the community of Motherload to be this thing that really requires a bigger vision and a bigger leadership from me. And so I'm like, okay, how do I, can I do both? You know, can I have my mastermind and my retreats and, you know, some consulting work that's just me. And then can I be the leader of a company that's a media company that creates content and kind of is the voice of this community of, of ambitious women who are struggling under the mental load. And that's the question for me, you know, there's a lot of triggery shit there from 2020 when I had a similar company that I was building in 2020 that I lost because of COVID and other things. And we had to fire people and, you know, and it harmed people's lives because they lost their livelihood as the world was shutting down and just all kinds of other stuff wrapped up in that. And it was a lot of inner work for me, repair my own ego and like my own self-worth and self-love after such a monstrous failure. And so looking at going that big again, even though I'm so much more aligned now is still just so like, What do you feel about that was a failure? I think the biggest thing was I knew I didn't want to do it. And I was already kind of feeling out of alignment with it. And I pushed through it. And because we had taken investor money and we had hired all these people and people kept telling me it was such a good idea. It's so great. It's like, this is exactly what people need. This is so cool. Like, you know, I had had a lot of success for five years building that, building up to like going big because I had launched it locally and then we were going to grow nationally. And the local stuff had always felt good. And it was the second that I kind of looked to go bigger, even though that's not exactly, wasn't totally in alignment for me at the time. And we hired all these people and I started having all these extra voices and opinions. And I felt really obligated to manage people. And I had to know what they were doing and all this stuff. It Like the getting out of alignment, but pushing through it thing was, is on me, you know? And, and I learned that about myself in retrospect. And even though I, now I know what triggered that and how I got there and I don't feel that way now, I'm scared that like, I'm like anticipating that it could happen again. And then what would I do? You know, and in fairness to myself, it's like, I've learned that I'm a visionary. I shouldn't be in the execution role. I should not be in the management role. I was in both, you know, like, so there's little nuances like that, that I've learned over the last few years, but the sting of failure is just like there overall, no matter what caused it. (laughs) So it's a process. Yeah. And I think what you were saying with the comfort zone stuff and stepping into work, that's more your sole purpose. I can resonate with that so much because like my business took off a ton in 2020. And so my comfort zone now is like what I used to look at as being like so hard to achieve. Like my current comfort zone was like my major goal, not that long ago. And which is so cool, like that shift and feeling the hesitation, like with the women's work that I'm doing and self-expression and embodiment and all of that have felt a lot of hesitation around going all in with that over the last year. Like what you were talking about, similar stuff of the like, well, this is the one that's so, that I care about so much more and that I'm so much more passionate about Mm-hmm. So it makes it scarier, right? Cause like, oh, well, what if I fuck it up? Like, cause it's almost, I think in that sense, like, and with you too, this may land, like 
it's almost an, not almost, it's an extension of you. Yes. Right. Like, oh, this is like literally part of my heart and soul, that kind of work. It's an extension of me. So if it fails, then I'm a failure or if people don't like this program, that means they don't like me. Right. Which is not true. Right. But, but it's a lot easier for me, like with my PR business or like the property stuff that I'm doing to not take that as like a personal reflection in any way and to make the doing of that so much easier because I'm like, well, whatever, that's not separate from me, right? Like, yeah, I love it. And it's amazing. And I put so much time, energy, all of that, but it's separate from me. That's not me. Whereas like this, like deep purpose, heart and soul work, like can be a lot scarier because it feels like you in work outside of your body, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the fear of, failure, the fear of judgment, the fear of the call out, you know, where I'm just trying to be self-expressed here. I'm just trying to be authentic. I'm trying to be me and help people like me. Cause you know, if I have this problem and I've been through nine different high level masterminds and had a ton of different coaches and worked with some of the biggest names in the like all the credentials I have, which are cool that I have them. And I still feel like I'm not fully complete in my understanding of myself and how to bring the, the exact thing that I'm meant to do in this world to life still, you know, and it's like, okay, and now I'm onto it, you know, and I think you are too, where it's like, okay, we've been through a lot of cycles of like strategy, 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 inner work, inner work, inner work. And now I'm like, cool. I'm finally at the pinnacle of like the inner work and the strategy are together. And it, for me, it's this like ambitious mother who's also dealing with the devotion to motherhood. And, and I'm like, that's me. And so if anybody if I fail at that, or I don't do it to the best service I can possibly do, or if someone judges me about it or calls me out on it, it's like, you're coming at me. Yes. At my identity, at my passion, at my mission and like my meaning for being here. And that feels super scary, (laughs) you know? And it's like the good and the bad of social media. And I think there is this part of us that can harden against it. And you're like, block and delete, block and delete. Like Chris Harder, you know, always is like, just block and delete, block and delete. I'm like, yeah, Yes. And my consciousness still knows that there's people out there that think I'm full of shit and that are coming at me in a mean way. And, you know, and like, we're human, our nervous system is calibrated to like, want to be in community and be in tribe. And like, if someone in the tribe comes at you angry and you feel that energy, your nervous system can't just block delete, you know, at least mine can't. So there is a lot of that, of like, just the raw vulnerability of really being truly embodied in what you want to do and putting that fully out there. And I think that's why you see so many people like three quarters of the way embodied in what they want to do, but they hold a little bit of it back or they put the like filtered version of it out there so that you have that buffer of judgment and of vulnerability. So yeah, that's the work for you and I, right? (laughs) Yeah. No. And thank you for sharing that, like being vulnerable about that and stuff. And Cause that's something I've been super aware of for myself of like, I'm not going all in on this, the way that I know that I could be mm-hmm. right. And then being like, what the fuck? Right. And having even just last weekend, I did some really powerful kind of like catharsis type work and was like, what the fuck are you waiting for woman? Like, let's go. Cause that like, you know, what's the saying? Like nine hundred percent is easy. 99% is hard. Yeah. 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 Like it's that feeling. Yeah. So thank you for this. Cause now I'm like, yeah, seriously, just fucking do it. Right. Well, and it's funny. Cause like, I'm sure you're like the people that I love the most to follow and the, the people I'm the most inspired by and the ones I'm the most engaged with 
on social media, in real life, everywhere are the people who are like hundred percent all in. Cause I'm like, yeah, you're not full of shit. I can't pick at, like, I actually don't pick at you when you're hundred percent because I'm like, okay, it's a little triggery, but like, fuck, she's awesome. Like she's in it. Or he's like, you and I have a mutual friend who like shares constantly about a, a very unique lifestyle that he and his partner are engaged in. And I bet he gets a thousand DMs a day when he shares these Q and A's that are judging him. But I bet he gets 10,000 people who are like, you have changed my life for the better. And I purposely send him those kind of DMs when he shares content that triggers me, but like also feels a little bit liberating of like, okay, I've had those thoughts. And wow, here is like education about how to bring this up in the relationship. And I'm like, I hope he knows that for every one person who's shaming or ridiculing him, he's got 10 people whose lives he's changed. And like, I really want to tell him how important that is for me. And validate. I mean, I'm like, I bet you and I would have the same kind of following, you know, or it's like, why I'm sure people would be reaching out that, you know, appreciating our vulnerability and appreciating our all inness than more people than like ridiculing us and way more people than the 75% watered down people who you're like, well, she's interesting, but like, you know, (laughs) so I see this and I am my own ideal client in that way. But then I still hold myself back. And that's like, that's what made me emotional earlier is like, what is this? Like I've done so much effing inner work and I still am hung up on the judgment and the fear of going all in. And the comfort zone is so freaking easy, right? Like I'm to a point in my life where the comfort zone is easy. So why not stay there? And that is a big question. So what helps you push through that or what is helping you? Cause that sounds like this is a very present thing yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I love my mentors and I'm so grateful for them, but it's not them. Like I'm not motivated to like do it for them. Now that I'm like really in alignment with what I'm doing, I feel like it's this calling beyond me that I'm feeling really for like the first time in my life where the bringing this to life feels bigger than me. And it's like this sense of duty, like almost like raising my kids where I'm like, yeah, there's days that I don't actually want to get up at 445, but it's not my choice. You know, it's like, right. That's what my kid needs. And I get up and I love it and it doesn't even phase me anymore. You know, and it's kind of the same with like bringing your purpose and your meaning to life. It's like, there's days where the work doesn't, not what you want to sit down and do that day, but you do it, you get it done because it's in service of the bigger thing. And so that's pulling me and I will be very candid and very real that competition drives me. And so seeing the momentum in the space that I'm in, in like this ambitious mama space where there's more of the like celebrity entrepreneur women who are now becoming mothers and realizing that like, oh yeah, this whole like straight line to success thing is not a thing anymore once you're a mom and they're having to totally rework how they work and how they succeed. And they're starting to speak to it and they're following. They're like, hey, I relate to this, you know? and so. The more that I see it, the momentum in this online business space towards like this realization of how hard motherhood is in the context of also being an entrepreneur, the more that I'm like, shit, okay, like I have authority here. I know this, this is my life. I can speak to this as well or better than they can. And because they have 10 X, the followers that I have doesn't make them more qualified, like, or more capable of speaking to it than me. And so that also pulls me along this idea that like, I, motherhood is a great equalizer. Like we all are just as wrecked by it as anybody else, you know, and as beautified by it. And so why not me? You know, it's like that, that idea of it's the one place where it doesn't matter how many followers you have, you're going, it is going to change your life. So 
that's pulling me a little bit and I'm an Enneagram three. So like competition does work for me. If I let my mind kind of spin around, like they just have an advantage because they already have a bigger following that you need to like, not fret about getting a freaking real post to just do it, you know? So that helps me too. (laughs) to be real. A little bit of competition doesn't ever hurt to kind of, Hey, why not? Right. Yeah. It gets you out of the comfort zone. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, and this is obviously like so much what your like new direction is about your podcast is kind of, well, about the being able to be like all in as a mother and then still be driven and pursuing success, pursuing your own business, all of that. And so what, and you've said, maybe not in these exact words, but that pretty much the idea of like, oh, having it all being like that super successful entrepreneur, boss, babe, woman, and then super present with your kids and vacationing and the best wife that that is like a bullshit, like image to be presenting in a lot of cases and probably a bit damaging too, and disheartening for a lot of women to see. Yeah. I mean, I think what it is, is it's really easy to show the highlights and like, that's a pithy thing to say, like, oh, the Instagram's a highlight reel, but it is because it's like a moment of a happy baby on a vacation, you know, while you're taking some time off. And it's like, yeah, but what the picture doesn't encapsulate is the fact that it took six suitcases to get on that vacation because you got to bring all your different shit. And you've got a, a pile of emails piling up, even though you told everybody you were out of office. And even if you have the the discipline not to check them, your brain is like, oh, I bet they're, oh, that meeting was today. I wonder how that went. Or, oh, that, you know, like that person was supposed to pay today. And I happened to see the notification that their credit card failed. Like these are things that have happened to me, right? Like I've been on vacation and I've seen a failed credit card payment. I'm like, okay, that means the money's not going to get deposited into our account from that client's payment. And You know, and so it's like, yeah, cool. You have balance, you have it all in a moment, but that never represents the true mental load that you're under. And it can't possibly because it's social media, right? Or it's YouTube or it's a podcast. Like you just don't know it until you know it. And the, also the idea that you can do everything at a hundred percent is just like, that's not math, right? Like you can't be a hundred percent present at work and a hundred percent present as a mother at all times. Like you are not 200%. So the whole entire idea of doing both things well means you will at times choose one over the other. And I think that's what doesn't get talked about a lot is like the normalization and the validation that, hey, in order to like go speak at this event or go launch this program or go through a sprint at work where you're gonna have to like work a little bit more because you're up for a promotion means a little bit less presence at home. And that may mean you need more help or that you leave the kid at daycare a little bit longer, or you've got help from family on the weekend so you can get some work done. Like, and that's the piece that nobody talks about, right? Where it's like, I'm just going to show you this picture of the one hour I spent at the park with my kid this weekend. I'm just not going to mention the fact that the nanny had him the other eight hours of the day so that I could work because we have a big launch next week. And you know, and I'm like, why, why are we so afraid to say that in order to be successful in this season and work means a little bit of less at home. And like, all of that is to say in our mental capacity, we absolutely always have the capacity to desire to do things, both things well, and to love them both. You know, like I love who I am in work and I don't want to sacrifice that. And I don't want to be made 
to feel guilty or shame that I don't choose my children at all times. And I love my kids more than anything. They are my hearts living outside of myself. I am a devoted mother and I do want to do things differently than the generations before me did. And work can wait, you know, and I want the world, the working world to understand that like, Hey, yeah, I'm not going to get to my inbox till Friday and it's Tuesday. So if you sent me an email, it's just gonna have to wait. And like your pace is not my pace because I have a kid. And that's also really hard <laughs> because the world wants to go in a straight line really fast. Right. And so it's, it's understanding that you can want them both equally and that's awesome. And you should, and then you also have to give yourself the grace to know that your capacity is a certain amount and it needs to ebb and flow depending on which one is the priority in the moment. And that doesn't mean that either of them will suffer, right? Like it's like, let's find ways to create a system where everything is dynamic and can stay healthy and positive while you do both things. So it's not this idea of like having it all because that makes it sound easy or like you're better than people, right? It's like, I'm doing both. And I'm committed to doing both really well. And that means work and discipline. Like when you commit to something, it's discipline, it's prioritization, it's sacrifice, it's growth and saying no, right? So it's, that's what I'm trying to, to like be candid about and normalize and, and for me, share more of myself. And then also have a lot of conversations with people who are really successful to be like, tell me the truth, <laughs> you know, like, yeah how does it really work for you? And how do you really feel? And, and in that sense, that's why I appreciate more of these like super visible people being honest about the load that they're under, because it can be so easy on social media or in media in general, where you see someone's experience with motherhood after they've already been really successful as an individual. And it seems like they just slid right in and it's like, oh, wow, it's just like this compliment to my life. And so Instagrammable to have this cute baby. And you're like, yeah, what you're not seeing is the fact that she has an immense amount of mental load associated with having that baby. And you and I both know she has it. So let's not make ourselves feel worse because she doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. I think there's been this trend. And I mean, this has kind of been inherent with social media anyway, the like, yeah, highlight reel, all of that. But I think there's been this trend too, especially as like law of attraction type stuff, energetics, magnetism, all of that has become even more popular and buzzwordy in the online coaching space and entrepreneurship space to not show to yes, show transparency and be transparent and authentic, but also not really show the hard stuff. And also in that too, also not speak to like pain points either. Yeah. Like where it's like, oh, but then I don't want to attract somebody who's thinking about their pain and low vibrational stuff. Cause then they're just going to be low vi when it's like, okay, but also that's like real human stuff too. Yeah. And so there's like, yes, more transparency and authenticity, but also like, oh, but less, we're not going to really talk or like share much of the like hard stuff. We'll like glaze over it quickly yeah. and then share the lesson of it. And yeah. Yeah. And so I've been noticing that more and more. It's like not even wanting to. Well, and I wish someone would like yeah. study that, like research that, because my guess is the client that that attracts is a lower level person who hasn't been through the ringer, what it really takes to get to like six, seven figures, right? Like yeah. 
you can like find some success, you get to 10,000 a month. Like that feels pretty good. Like that's a big deal for a lot of people. And I would say the majority of people that I know that still respond to that kind of marketing tactic are in that range, right? Where it's like, you're getting to that, like life-changing money. If you've had like a corporate job or a regular kind of side hustle, but you haven't been through like the shit we talked about earlier, like hiring five or six people and having to fire some of them, having debt up to your eyeballs, you know, having investors or having like really uncomfortable conversations with clients that you need to stop working with or bills you can't pay, right? Like all the things that really start to come in as you reach higher and higher levels of success. And not that manifestation and energetics don't play a role in those higher levels because they do, but they have to come in at such a level of mastery and how you manage and like how composed you remain as the leader of what you do. Like that stuff to me is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that stuff. And that is how I got here. Like, that's why I'm at this level of success. That's not what's going to get me to the stratosphere stuff, right? But like the stuff that gets you to the stratosphere stuff is learning how to master your own energetics, learning how to stay in composure when that shit gets tested, learning how to, you know, manage your own energy and show up consistently as who you want to be, even on the days that you want to be like, fuck this, I'm done. And as a mother, it's like a whole new level of not having control over a lot of things and still having to be having to compose yourself and come in and step in, in that leader energy, step in, in that, you know, coach energy, step in, in the whatever energy. And so for me, it's like, yeah, when you only focus on manifestation, you only focus on energetics and you kind of like mysticize success. To me, it's like, okay, that's going to get you to a certain level because a lot of us do have mindset issues that you can kind of like break through with some of that mysticizing stuff where it's like, you just got to believe that you can do it. And that is going to get you further than strategy for a while. But then at a certain point, (laughs) that stuff is like, oh, I believe I can do it. I have a thousand moving parts now that feel overwhelming to me to the point where I can't do it without help or I can't do it without a system or I can't do it without some employees. And those are more humans that I have to deal with. (laughs) You know, like you have a big team. I talk to three of them on the daily, you know, I'm like, Lauren's managing at least three people that I know of for one part of your business. Right. And so like now you've got more people involved. You've got more energy that you're dealing with. You've got higher stakes, like higher expectations. I think that, yes, what you said is exactly accurate. And I've probably belabored the point, but it's like, it really only speaks to one small aspect of the mindset of success. It doesn't speak to the whole cycle of thought process and obstacles and inner work stuff that has to happen every moment of every day to keep that success going and days over days, months over months, years after year. And I think when you look at people who have reached much higher levels of success, they speak a little bit more candidly to the obstacles. They speak to the the struggles. I still see a lot of like bypassing of that stuff at the lower levels where they're like, I've just had like the hardest week of my life, but I woke up this morning, a totally new person with new downloads. And you're like, Yes. What happened? Tell me that what happened? (laughs) Like, I want to know, you know? So I think that's very trendy in our online coaching consulting world right now to kind of speak, just let everything be up to the universe and the energetics and the manifestation and not speak to the crap that happens in the interim. And I do think that's a major disservice to people because it's not the whole story. Right. And I think it can cause a lot of people who like are like, well, fuck, things are hard lately, or I'm not like 
you know, to then feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Yes. And like, don't you feel so much better when a coach or a mentor asks you how you're feeling and like, what does it feel like for that to have happened to you? You know, like, tell me how that's affecting your ability to sit in front of your computer and get anything done. Tell me how your body feels right now. Like, it's not my coach, Amber Lillistrom said this the other day. She said it was brilliant. She's like, there's a lot of straight line strategy. Like you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you'll have this success. And then you have kids or you get to certain, like kids aren't the only thing that can make this different, right? It's like you have relationship, you get married, like some dynamic majorly shifts, you hire employees. And all of a sudden there's just a lot more energy in your field, right? <laughs> like now you don't have a straight line anymore because you're not the only person making decisions and you're not the only person changing the environment. And what that means is you don't get to go in a straight line from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed because you don't have freedom anymore. Now you've got to go right turn because somebody's sick and you got to go left turn because, you know, a meeting got bumped by 30 minutes. You got to go right turn because whatever. And it doesn't mean that you can't get to the same level of success. It just means that you've got to be in community with people and being mentored by people who can validate that. Like there are some people that can still go in a straight line because that's how they operate or that's what their energy looks like or their environment is like today. And then there's a lot of us who, for whom the straight line was gone a long time ago. And we have to live in the world of curvy lines and right turns. And when you are a curvy line, right turn person, and you live in a curvy line, right turn environment in a business like that, and you're trying to be comparing yourself to somebody who is telling you to go straight, you're going to think you're wrong. You're going to compare yourself and feel inadequate. And sadly, a lot of people give up because they're like, well, the straight line doesn't, I can't go straight. So I'm just not going to try it all. And it's like, well, actually there's beauty in going in the weird curvy route. You just have to get around people that validate that. And I've been that person for so long where I'm trying to apply a straight line into, you know, since I've been a mom for five and a half years, like I've had a lot of coaches in that time that were not moms and not parents. And were still coaching me to go straight. And like a lot of people that I follow online who I'm like, damn, their results are incredible. Fuck. How are they doing this? And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. They get up and they have nobody else to deal with all day long except themselves. And then they go to bed. I mean, fuck, if that was my reality, I'd be going that fast too, you know? So I think it's all about awareness and that validation. That's what we talked about before we started recording. It's like just being validated in the fact that like, as we grow and we change and we get to different levels of success, there's new obstacles and there's new fears and there's new comfort zone <laughs> pulls on us. And the strategies that worked at one point in our lives or the people that we were drawn to at one point as mentors and inspiration, we may outgrow them and we may no longer relate to them. And that doesn't mean that we're wrong or that they're wrong. It just means that seasons of life change and that your business may be shifting to a point where it's time to look for something new. And that doesn't mean anything negative about you. It doesn't mean you're a, not a good manifester. It doesn't mean you don't have good energy. It just means you need to approach all of that a little differently. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. And that's been one of the things for me too. Like a big breakthrough for me is like success, growth, all of it. Like it's not necessary. It's rarely linear, rarely linear, which is, is like, can sometimes kind of mess with you. Cause you're like, wait a second, I'm moving backwards or whatever it is, or like going in all these directions. But then that also means on the flip side that it 
like the amazing stuff can happen in a non-linear way and then be like, oh my gosh. And then almost as if like, who knows how, but it all just flipped and changed and everything started working in a whole different way. Right. So that's the upside of that. But yeah, yeah. things are rarely linear. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. What you see like to that point, and cause I fall into this trap and I'm saying this mostly for myself is a lot of the, what the success stories that you see from people that you know, are very successful is you do get the boiled down story that is actually linear. Cause they're like in 2018, I was making this much in 2019, I did this. And then in 2020, I, I got to hear it. And what you're not seeing is like, okay, in 2019 to 2020, they took a big leap, but like after they had that hundred thousand dollar month in mid 2020, they dropped back down to 30 K for a few months because that was one launch, you know? And like, but the next highlight reel they show you is 2021 where they made this much And it's like, okay, if you really understand, or if we could really see everything, which I'm not saying that everybody should be super transparent about all the ups and downs of the inner workings of their business. It's not that it's more that once you get to a certain stage in your business, you'll realize it's very difficult to sustain that type of growth month after month, after month, after month, after month, after month, after month, on and on and on and on without some type of blip or problem or major blow up that you have to deal with that kind of takes your focus away from just easy quantum success forever. And I think that's, what's really insidious is like this idea that like, once you master energy and manifestation, you're just going to have growth, 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 growth. That's never interrupted by real life. And I'm here to tell you, I've had lots of growth and I've had lots of interruption and then growth again, and then interruption again, and then growth again. And it all levels out where it's like, it was a seven figure year okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was. But like, there was a few months there where I was like, what the fuck's happening? You know, like, why did it drop so much? And what am I doing? What's going on with my team? You know, what's going on with the clients? What's going on with their advertising, whatever. And, you know, that's where I think people can get discouraged because I've been discouraged where if you perceive that it is linear in the sense that once you know how to grow, that you are supposed to just keep growing easily ever after, I think that's really damaging to believe that. What is a better belief is once you learn how to grow and you've mastered all the things that help you grow personally, that help the company and the business that you work in or your business grow, now you're more resilient to the times that are going to test you and make it hard for all those growth, that all that growth structure to continue to grow. You know, it's like as the in nature, right? It's like trees know how to grow, but then it, winter comes and it's cold. And they're like, okay, I know how to grow, but this is a season where I've got to kind of figure it out again. And then spring will come. And so I think that's what's missing. And that's what I feel called to fill in the gaps on is like, especially when you're a mom, you know, especially if you're an ambitious mom, you really know how to grow. You know how to follow that ambition. You know how to succeed. What you might not know is there's going to be seasons of your motherhood where it's just a hard season in the age of the kid. You know, like they don't sleep very well or it's back to school and they're sick for three months or God forbid something more, you know, trauma happens and you've got to kind of take a step back and deal with it. And what I want people to understand is like, if you, yes, you have to master energetics and manifestation. You also have to master resilience and confidence that like taking a step back or slowing the pace down a little bit or taking care of yourself because you need to heal for a while doesn't mean you aren't going to start growing again, right? And it doesn't mean that you won't have the 100K months again or whatever the metric is that you're chasing. And it doesn't say anything bad about you that you didn't keep that straight line going. And I think that's where I've felt that in the past where I'm like, well, I just had my second kid. I was doing really consistent. 
you know, 50, 80 K months, had a second kid and was like, I don't know how to function with two kids. You know, I'm like, there's no straight line for me anymore because I have to totally relearn what it is like to work at this pace with two kids. Now one kid, I could work at this pace, two kids. I can't. So that was a real world thing for me where I had my second baby and I tried to come back into work at the same pace I was doing with one kid. And it was just absolutely not possible. And that really threw me literally into like six months of like weird depression of not, I wouldn't call it depression, but like weird self-doubt around what was I even doing? You know, what am I even doing with my life? And it's like, what you're doing is you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to keep going at a pace and in a straight line when what you really need right now is to slow down and go a little curvy yeah. for a while. And even thinking about it, not that this is not the best analogy, but for like the entrepreneur brain, right? Like thinking about like, oh, if, okay, you've got your business jamming, great. You have a baby. That's a whole nother, if we're, it's a business baby, sound bad, but yeah, I'm like, that's a whole nother business you're managing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So imagine then you add another business to the mix. Ob- right. So if we're thinking about like, and again, everybody, I'm not saying businesses are babies, right? No, but, very different things. but if you think perfect about analogy. it as like, yeah, like you wouldn't expect yourself to be operating at the same capacity and getting the same amount of stuff done as you did with one business as with three, right? right. Like, and so thinking, oh, yeah. well, it's just like, my life has to continue. Like that's such unreasonable pressure to put on yourself. And I think so much of the time, like that's kind of the expectation or we like have that story. Yeah. So what for you, so that like your pace and everything, what have been some of the other big challenges, like running a successful business and being a mom? Yeah. I mean, pace is a huge thing for me. And, you know, as we talked about, I'm an Enneagram three. So my pace usually is like as fast as possible. And I'm also partnered with an Enneagram three whose pace is also oh. fast as possible and has multiple businesses. And so, you know, I think in my personal setup because of our natures is that there's a lot of talk in our house around it's just not going fast enough in the business side, you know, and we're both motivated by results and by output, you know, and the kids have an impact on that, but it's more that like, it is the business baby analogy. And there's something about having babies that makes you feel like you have more capacity. It's this weird physiological thing that I'm like, oh, like I have two kids, maybe I could have seven businesses, which like, you don't even want to know how many LLCs we have. But the point is there's this, tendency to add, like you have more capacity, so you fill it. And then once I have stuff in my zone, I'm like, I want it all to work. I want to like, I want it to go faster. I want to know it's good. And when it doesn't, it becomes really demotivating and can be very distracting. And so there's, for me and RT personally, it's like, there's just a lot of this conversation around is everything that's on our plate in the business realm, something that we really want and should be doing ourselves. And if it's not how do we get it offloaded to somebody else so that it doesn't drive us crazy, you know? So it is the pace and really paying attention to what parts of my life need to move at what pace and being disciplined about that, not pushing the ones that can't go any faster and getting rid of the ones that I shouldn't be working on, like that could be delegated. And then with on the personal life and the kids, it's like not rushing that because I don't want to miss. That's the whole thing about being a devoted mother is like, I don't want to rush my kids to grow up. You know, I don't want to rush through every day with them so that I can get to bedtime and work more. I don't want to feel that way. And so it's always looking at the balance of pace in our lives. And, you know, like 
for me, it's a lot of, as I've gotten older, like I just turned 40 and a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So I'm like through postpartum, but I still feel the after effects of like all your mom is listening. You know, like once you have a baby, it doesn't really matter what age, your body's just never really quite the same. And not in a bad way necessarily, that you just notice things differently. You feel different things. I had C-sections, like I have a scar that has all kinds of implications on my abdominal wall and psoas and all these things, you know, and I'm like, the other thing that's really become evident to me to manage it all is like, I've got to feel good. I have to feel good in my body. And the second I start to get run down or I feel myself eating like shit or over caffeinating or not getting enough movement, sleep, I kind of write off because God, sleep is just not a thing that's consistent with my children. You know, as soon as I start to feel my physical well being decrease, I'm like, it just has such a negative downward effect on everything else in my life. And And it is back to like business babies, kid babies. Like if you're leading all of these things and they're all kind of reliant on you for survival, you can't show up half dead, you know? And that's the other thing I see so much with ambitious women is like themselves and their well being is the lowest thing on their list because everybody else is screaming louder, right? Yeah. Until they reach complete burnout or they have some kind of health crisis and then they can't show up for anybody. And I'm like, why do we do this to ourselves? Why are we like this? But it's kind of what we talked about around, there's just this expectation of, of martyrdom and sacrifice and go, go, go to the detriment of the physical, mental, like the individual well-being of the mother. So that's been a big thing for me is prioritizing my well-being. And even on the days I don't want to, like really, <laughs> really making that a priority and being disciplined with that. Yeah. How has being a mom becoming a mom or how is being a mom? How does it make you better at being an entrepreneur for you personally? For me personally, it has so vastly expanded my empathy and compassion. I think prior to becoming a mother, I had a lot of that, like people are stupid belief, like, especially in the entrepreneurship space where I'm just like, are you kidding me? You don't know what this is, or you've made that mistake again. Like, in owning local, I own two local businesses, like brick and mortar businesses. And there were just so many things in those type of businesses where dealing with customers, you know, where I'm just like, humanity is destined to fail. Like, how do people get through their lives? I'm not even kidding. Like, no, I know. And like you and I have had conversations yeah. about like just how clown world things are. So it's like, yeah, it's clown world. Like I had a yoga teacher at the studio that I used to, I used to own a yoga studio, and we had a yoga teacher that didn't know what avoided, like, she did not know how to get us her checking account information so that we could pay her. She was like, what do you mean? Like avoided check. And we're like, do you have a bank account? She's like, yeah, I have a bank account. Here's my debit card. We're like, how do you get money into that bank account? She's like, oh, she was getting alimony from an ex-husband. It just got automatically deposited. And I was like, okay, but for us to be able to pay you that, yeah, right. Like for us to be able to pay you, we've got to have access to your checking account. We need like either the account number or like a voided check, or like you can go online and fill this thing out through our computer system. She's like, well, I don't, how would I know that? Like the bank, I mean, not even kidding. It was like this 10 minute long conversation with this woman. And I was like, how do you get to this point in life and not know what a fucking checking account is? You know, like I was so yeah. blown away. And I remember going home that night or and being like, not like, figuring it out yourself, like Googling it. What's a oh my God. check? Oh, the entitlement of the people to just like make you do the labor. Teach me how to be an adult. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I remember going home that was prior to like, that was shortly before I had, I got pregnant with Sawyer, our oldest son. 
And I remember going home and talking to RT and, and to my co-owner and being like, I am not cut out to be customer facing. Like I absolutely cannot stand in front of someone like that and be nice to them. Like I just cannot deal with people being that clueless and that entitled that like you want me to pay you, but you don't know how to get into your checking account. Like, are you kidding me? So that like that, that ire in me, I still feel it when I tell these stories, but now that I have kids and I realize like that this existential, like inner child that like, okay, like Lindsay, that person was probably parented by a mother that was like, God knows what happened, you know, like, but for you to grow up to be an adult, that's that helpless and that clueless, something must have happened. Right. And so then I, I'm not overblowing this by like looking at my own children. I'm like, okay, you kind of start to look around at every wounded human around you and be like, oh my God, they were at one time, just a little three-year-old boy or a little three-year-old girl whose parents probably did something wrong, you know? And it just gives you this like immense amount of compassion and empathy for people that at least I'm not naturally wired to have. (laughs) So that has been the biggest thing for me is like, I look at people and I'm just like, okay, like I still kind of think you're stupid, but I have so much more compassion for you because I don't know what happened to you that made you this way. And because I don't know, I'm just going to be nice, you know? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I relate to that (laughs) so much. Sometimes being like, how'd you survive this long on your own? (laughs) Yeah. I mean like 2020 and just everything about 2020, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, like there's just so much of it where like masks in cars by yourself, like talk to me about this. You know, like I live in LA. It's still at this point, like I get a little surprised now seeing people with masks, which is a great thing (laughs) because like it's less here in LA, but still, but still, or like the, let me put it on to go into the grocery store come outside, take it off. I'm like, right. Your brain. Never mind. Yeah. We get it. No, we get it. Like, yeah. It's a lot of that. And then I just go, huh. Yeah. Humans are so different and so fascinating. That's yeah. what I said. I'm like, God, look at how you made us all <laughs> so unique. How about that? That's like the only, <laughs> the only coping mechanism. Right. And kids, honestly, like, I don't know where you stand on wanting kids, but like, if you have them ever, like you'll feel a little bit better in the sense of like, okay, They really, they are little individuals, you know, and like they start to have these like peculiarities where you're like, where did they pick this up? And you realize what you just said. It's like, okay, these are not just my little byproducts that I can control. That's where they start to not be little businesses is like all of a sudden they start to do things where you're like, hang on a second. Where'd you learn that? They're like, yeah, why do you like that? Or why do you think that's good or bad? Like that's so different than me as your parent. That's what starts to churn these like compassion and empathy muscles because you're like, okay, he likes something that I think is totally lame, but instead of criticizing him about it, I've got to be like, like him. I still have to like him. I still have a dork. Yeah. And I have to be like, cool, honey, you know? Wow. Yeah. And then you just look at the lady next to you on the airplane with like the face shield and three masks and gloves in 2022. And you're like, you know what? I don't think like you, but you know what? Okay. It's okay. Somebody loves you. Yeah. And there's a person that loves you a lot. And there must be a reason why you have so much fear, you know? So like, okay, I'm just going to like take a breath and not be judgmental. And that, so like, thank you to my children for making me less of a shitty human. Cause otherwise I think like pre-babies me was very callous and like just very intolerant of people that couldn't keep up at my, at the way I see the world. And now I'm like, you know what? Humanity, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
So <laughs> you're like, I made this one and it's doing weird things. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's a whole other episode is like, why are our children like this? Because yeah, they're not. <laughs> like, I'm not like that. Stop. <laughs> right. I'm like, where'd you pick that up? But yeah. Oh man. Okay. So what I'm curious with like, cause obviously audience knows, you know, like I am obsessed with like masculine feminine mm. energy dynamics and stuff like that. And back when I was married, that was something and, you know, used to be so hyper stuck in my masculine, like always that when I was actually like learning to balance those things out, like I would need to make a very conscious shift to shift out of like masculine business mode. And now I'm very in my feminine in my business as well. So there's like such a beautiful balance, but I used to be like, you know, once I started learning about that need to make such a conscious decision to shift into my feminine, like before my husband got home so that I could be in that energy more attentive. So how, how is that balanced for you and RT? And like, what do you do to like be, and, and I also don't even know like what role you like to be or what energy you like to be in your partnership. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned in the beginning and I, I know RT as well. Like you guys are both like highly driven, highly successful, multiple businesses, right? Like how does that, yeah. How do you navigate that? Well, it's taken a lot of, of therapy. I mean, to be very candid, we, we went to a year's worth of couples counseling. So, so rewinding a little bit. So pre baby me met RT, um, only about six months before I got pregnant to be, uh, to be real, it was an unplanned pregnancy and we were not together for very long. And one of the things that attracted us together was that, that like me more in my masculine being like this driven entrepreneur that matched his energy. Cause he was also that when we met and, you know, and he was really attracted to me in all my ideas and the growth and all the things that I am really naturally that person. And, you know, and there's a lot of backstory of how I was raised to be a performer and an, an achiever and how I modeled that after my dad and all that stuff. So I think the masculine energy is, is very comfortable for me. And, and, and like, you know more about this than I do, but like feminine energy, that's, that's fronting as masculine energy in the sense of being like manipulative feminine energy where I, I show up as like powerful, seductive feminine to get my way. And that was me in my corporate career. Like I was this hot, skinny, blonde, you know, salesperson in a very man, like energy industry, very masculine men, men dominated. And I learned quickly. I was like young and hot. I could get pretty much anything I wanted by turning on that kind of like powerful seductress feminine vibe. Friendly flirt. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually, I think more of a masculine energy ultimately because it's well playing in the masculine world, right? Like it's, it's the, the dark feminine, it's right? Dark Whether feminine, it's right. being used for good or evil. Yes. Right. Yes. It's that dark feminine because dark feminine is much more confronting and like sharp and that like yeah. seductress, like yeah, bold fire energy. Right. Yeah. And I think like dark feminine feels comfortable to more masculine women, like, or women yes. that have, because it's like, it still feels more powerful and more yeah. controlled than the soft feminine that requires a lot of surrender and a lot of vulnerability. So even when I met him, like, I feel like I thought I was like more feminine because I, I was starting to do some work with women and I had a yoga studio and I was like really trying to get more conscious about women in business. And I think I was still very much in the masculine and the dark feminine. 
you know, I got pregnant and over the years of having Sawyer and then I had Wes in 2019 and then we get to 2020 and when everything started to kind of blow up in 2020 with the brick and mortar businesses and, you know, the failure I described earlier and I have these two little kids and my body's different and my hormones are whacked and like masculine energy didn't really work. I was like, you can't really be masculine and have a newborn. Like it's just weird, but like, I was still trying to like force a lot of things. And so I think I was in this weird, like very dissonant phase of, I really wanted to nurture and be soft and like love my kids. But I felt like the only way to survive in that kind of stress of COVID and growing two businesses and all these things was to kind of like show up in that masculine. And at the same time, RT was going through the grief of losing his mom and his businesses were suffering because of COVID. And so a lot of dynamics happening where he actually kind of got more into like, I don't know what the inverse of that is, but he kind of got into like the feminine, like the bitter feminine of, of his energy, where it was a lot of bitterness and a lot of resentment and, and kind of like the fuck you world energy. And so it was like, we were both totally out of alignment in the wrong energies. And that led to a separation. Like we separated at the end of 2020 or fall of 2020. And a lot of what we had to heal through separation, like we started going to counseling, we went weekly was flipping that dynamic back to, I need to feel safe in the relationship. And when I'm in my feminine energy, the only way I can get into my feminine energy and really stay there and be soft and nurturing and sensual and all those things is if I feel like innately, deeply, fully safe. And he didn't make me feel safe when he's in like bitter, bitchy feminine mode, you know, where he's kind of like mad at the world and sassy and stuff. And like, then a lot of that gets projected onto me. And so in therapy, we really had to work on like reversing the polarity to get him to step more into his masculine, which required a lot of like ego work with him. And for me, it was me surrendering into my feminine, which was like saying that I like admitting a lot of stuff around motherhood that like, I actually do want to be with the kids more. I don't want to have full-time childcare all the time. I want to still be an entrepreneur, but I want more help in that space so that I'm not like drive, 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 go, go, go all the time. Like it was admitting a lot of the things that I was scared to say to him previously around wanting more time at home and more help at work. And then it was a lot of like arranging the dynamics of our relationship and how our house operates to be more matched up to masculine and feminine energy. And for us, like, not that this is the only way to do it, but we prescribe to a pretty traditional energy model of like, I run the house, I run the kids, he's present, but I don't expect him to like, know everything about all the schedules. I don't expect him to communicate with the childcare providers. I take care of most of like the meal planning and the food stuff. In exchange, he he makes more money than or even in the sense of he provides more money into the household than I do and pays for more stuff. And so, and for us, that was like, you know, that dynamic has shifted some as like the years have gone on now, but in our therapy and in our healing process and our reconciliation and moving back in together and stuff, it was like, this is how it has to be. Like we really need clear lines between masculine and feminine energy. And that helped. I mean, that totally rebirthed an entirely new relationship. And our therapist like literally had us do this exercise where we like, we broke up, like ended our relationship, like wrote down what didn't work and like had a little ceremony and said goodbye to those people. And then the same day, like started a new relationship as the new versions of ourselves with new roles and new boundaries and new expectations and new commitments around communication. So that if either of us felt starts to feel like one of us is getting out of alignment in uh, that masculine feminine energy dynamic, 
we know the tools and we know what to say to each other. We feel safe to say it to each other. So that's been huge. And like our relationship, our sex life, everything is 10x better than it ever was because that energy is really strong and clear between us. And it doesn't mean that he can't kind of shift into his feminine to be nurturing to the kids when I'm gone and that I don't shift into masculine when I've got to like get shit done at work or I need to deal with a conflict. You know, like there's obviously places where we pull on the dynamics of it because that's important, but in the relationship itself, in the parenting roles and in, you know, navigating life together as people who love each other and are cheering each other on as entrepreneurs and as parents, it's like we are very on each other about those commitments that we have and those dynamics. Like if something starts to feel off, it's on both of us to immediately react to it so that we don't go down the path that we went down in 2020, where we both got so far into wonky energy that it literally blew up our relationship. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that super vulnerably and honestly. And yeah, I think it's so important, like for everybody listening, right? Like when you're one to know yourself well and what you need and what makes you feel good. And then, yeah, in a relationship, like getting really clear on like, okay, what do we both want this to look like? And what do I want? Like, you, like, how do I want you to show up? How do you want me to show up? Like, yeah, Yeah. having those conversations. Absolutely. You know, we have several friends where I would say the husband plays the like more traditional feminine role in that he runs the household and he does the carpooling and he runs the kids' schedules. He does the shopping and the woman is the primary breadwinner. These are two entrepreneur friends we have. They both own brick and mortar businesses here in town. And like, they both definitely have stronger masculine energy and their partners have stronger feminine energy. When you see them in like in dynamic, it's not that there's not like sexually feminine and sexually masculine, but just in that energy of like who wears the pants, so to speak. And like everybody in those relationships is fully on board with that. Like that has been their agreement. That's how the energy and the roles are going to be split and it works for them, you know? And so it's definitely not to say, especially for ambitious women, that you have to play that like all of a sudden you come home and you have to switch into feminine mode for, I'm just saying for me, and I think you've said this, where it feels good to kind of be in masculine in the work environment and then be in feminine in the home environment. And that polarity and duality is that's what I crave. You know, I don't want to be masculine at work and masculine at home. That doesn't work for me. Yes. And I mean, I talk about this all the time, like, right. Men and women, we all have masculine and feminine energy within us. Like typically women are going to be 80% in their feminine, typically men, 80% in their masculine and like everyone's unique, right? So whatever your balance is, that feels best. That's unique to you. And similarly unique to, if you're in a relationship, whatever feels best for y'all, right? Like that balance is going to look differently to everybody. But the key thing is like for things to work in romantic partnership, like there has to be polarity right? You can't both be operating dominantly in your masculine. You can't both be dominantly operating in your feminine. Correct. Yeah. I love all that. Thank you for sharing that. And kind of last question, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording is the difference between like audience and community. Yeah. Right. Cause I think so much of the time we think of our online audience or it's interchangeable to say audience and community. And I think in the coaching space too, in the personal development space, there's more of an inclination to say community because Mm -hmm. it includes 
the audience more, it makes them feel more valued and like, you know, they're part yeah. of your tribe sort of thing. Yeah. And I think if you're using that, like, I don't know, like when I say that, like, I want to think of people as more like on this journey with me than just like fans or something. Right. But yeah, but you were talking about that as like exploring that and looking at that as thinking deeper on like, what do we as humans need? What do yeah. we want? Because what I've seen in the like real world is in the last couple of years is a big, big emphasis on community more, but largely like in-person community and relationships and stuff like that. And almost like a stepping away from having that be met on social media. Yeah. I mean, this is a big question for me and we were chatting about it because it came up in my mentorship calls. And, you know, when I look at what I'm doing and my passion around ambitious mothers and this whole concept of the mental load and everything we've talked about today, it's like, do I need a community? Like, do I need to be amongst other women like me who are having the same experience and I can get the head nods and the me too's and like, you know, do I want that in person locally? Like, do I need a mother load circle? I can go sit in at Starbucks and we can all just sit there and like lament how we want to be working when we're home with our kids. Like, or, you know, when we're at work, we want to be with our kids. We want to be working. Like, no, I don't need that. Like, I don't personally want to go sit at Starbucks and hear that. Cause I already know that, you know? So it's like, do I want an online community where there's resources that make me feel like I'm not crazy and I'm not alone? Like, okay. Yeah, maybe like where I can read articles or I hear stories of people who, where it resonates, or do I just want to be part of an audience of some leaders and some big names or whatever, like people and brands where they speak to my experience so accurately and so clearly that I'm like, it stops my scroll. And I'm like, yes, thank you for validating what I felt today. You know? And like, I've worked in community consulting for years. Like I've built online communities for big, big companies for many years. That's part of like how I, how I know so much about this and also why I feel so much like question in this because building a community means that it's one node to many nodes and the nodes can talk to each other. So when you build a community, you have to give your audience an opportunity to talk to each other. That's what makes it a community. So when an influencer is like, oh, my community, well, unless they're able to talk to each other and comments on Instagram do not count as talking to each other because it's not interactive, right? When an influencer says that, I'm always like, it's not your community, it's your audience. Like, and your audience loves you and your audience is inspired by you and your audience buys the things that you say they should buy. Like, that's awesome, but let's call it what it is, you know? And so when I look at what I want as an ambitious mom in my shared experience with other ambitious moms with the mental load and and all the things we've talked about today, it's like, do I want to follow thought leaders and brands who are speaking to my experience? And then that helps me feel validated. And then that pumps me up a little bit to go back about my day. And, or do I want to be a part of a community where I can actually commune with other women like me who are having the same experience and make friends and whatever else it might be, you know? And so that question is very alive for me because I want like friends who are understanding of what my life looks like right now. I don't know that I want to go sit, like I said, like, I don't know that I want to go sit at Starbucks with a bunch of like moms like me and just have this conversation in person, you know? So yeah, well, it's almost like wanting friends, people in your circle, in your life that get it, but then that's not what you're talking about. Right. It's like, no, oh, but yeah. then let's like still like 
explore an adventure life and like, what are you excited about now? What do you like? Yeah. Well, and like solving the problem, right? Like when you think about a community versus an audience, and this is kind of meta because it's like me as the client and me as the business owner, both in this question. It's like, do I, what's the problem I have? You know, the problem I have is some days I feel like I'm shitty at all of it and I'm slow at all of it and I'm way behind and I'm not that great of a mom and I'm also not that great of a business owner and I'm not hitting any of my goals in anywhere. You know, it's like, okay, in that moment, what's the problem I need solved? Do I need to sit with people who validate that and who are also feeling that way? And then we're all just kind of commiserating and that's cool. Yes, maybe. Or do I need content and tools and inspiration that triggers me back into validation and into a shared experience and into a new paradigm of thinking? That's like, you know what? That's actually how it's supposed to be (laughs) because you're doing two huge things at the same time at all times. So I think of that as a customer, like, what do I actually really want? And I think this is a big like question in our culture right now of what is community to us anymore? Because I think our brains are starting to change a little bit in kind of attuning more to being an audience member than being part of a community and that there's good and bad to that. That's probably a whole other podcast. And then, so when I'm a customer, I think that way of like, I kind of like being part of an audience so that I can just consume what resonates and throw away the rest. And I'm pretty self-motivated. So when I see something that resonates, I'm able to like that spark something in me and then that helps me. But maybe somebody that's not self-motivated needs to be in the like the community where they can talk to each other to get the like more personal shared experience story. So that's a big question as a customer. And then as a business owner, I asked you this question and I think it's interesting for the audience to contemplate is like, what are you creating in your company? Because a lot of like buzzwords out there in marketing right now is like every business by 2030 or 2050 is going to be a community. You know, like basically Apple is a community, (laughs) like Tesla is a community. And you're like, but how, like, do you see another Tesla owner? And you're like, Hey, how's your Tesla? Yeah. I love mine. Does it, did you turn on like the sleigh bell turn horn? Like, Oh, cool. Yeah, I did too. You know, like, okay. But like, would you want to get on a Tesla chat room and like talk to a chat room? Like I'm no from the nineties, but like into a Tesla <laughs> online community and like geek out about your Tesla, like probably not. I don't know. No. So these are questions in businesses of what's your focus. If your focus is on building a community, are you building a community because you want your customers to talk to each other and that's adding value to the product you're selling? Or are you trying to build an audience who you can inspire And they can then buy into containers or they can buy products where they would have more intimacy. And that's where they get that kind of hit of common connection. So I don't know, but that big on my mind right now, just in our culture in general, and then in this online business world. I think honestly, just, and we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, because I've been playing with TikTok a lot lately and like having a lot of fun with it and seeing like on that platform, just how fast it moves and how people can become celebrities, like social media celebrities, literally in a week, right? You have something go viral and you become like one of these influencer, celebrity content creators overnight. And it's so much about, it's about audience. And it's like, and now each person, whether you're name recognizable or not, has their own little like TV show sort of thing that the world can tune into and- So, yeah, so I think it seems to me like it's moving that audience wins, like audience is the, where things are going, but then they get access to more like 
hands-on support connection and get access to the community piece through investing into those other tiers. Yes. Yes. Because deep down, I think that's what we all want so much more is that connection and feeling belonging and all of that. But we're simple creatures in many ways. And so the quick attention fix of being watching stuff and being part of the audience and which so much why TikTok is so popular, like that's easier. Like we get that quick, like dopamine hit of just being that passive audience observer. Yeah. I think it's spot on what you said. And I think the word is intimacy. You know, it's like, if you look at human nature as cultures got bigger, right. It's like, it's not like we wanted to know everybody that lives in our city. I live in a city of 200,000 people. I don't want to know everybody. I'm not part of the community of Fort Collins, Colorado. I mean, I guess I am, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. But what it means is within the audience of everyone who lives in the city, who is spoken to about certain things going on in the city, we have our little smaller, like more intimate communities or, you know, connection pods in your neighborhood or around the school that your kids go to or around the businesses that you frequent, or if you're a business owner around the business owner community, I think that's real community, you know, where it's like, okay, that's a specific, like niched thing. That's part of a bigger audience. And there's more specific shared characteristics in those like smaller things, but they do require like an investment into something. And I think that's where you see like next door groups and like neighborhood Facebook groups. I'm just like, I can't be part of any of this crap because it's like, it's just noise. Right. But then you get into like just our, we live in a big sprawling neighborhood, but like just our little like Southwest corner has its own little Facebook group. And I'm like, okay, that one is relevant to me because it's like four streets and I know all these people. So it's interesting. Like when somebody's house is on fire, there's seven cop cars, like we all want to know what's going on. So like, those are smaller examples compared to like motherhood. But I think that audience is the starting point for a lot of us in our businesses and a focus on audience gives you the ability then to create intimate community containers around more niched needs and characteristics. And that's why TikTok is crushing it, right? And that's why people on Instagram that grow big followings and then sell programs do really well because it's like, okay, you've got different offers for different people and those fulfill the specific need that they have. So I think relating it back to business, that's where I'm at with it is like, maybe we all need to focus on audience growth and with audience growth, you then have the power to create community. Yes, I completely agree with that. Okay. We are just jamming, but I think this is a perfect place to stop and we absolutely like should do more. So on that note, I would love for you to tell everyone where they can find you online, how they can work with you. And then of course, how to tune in to your brand new podcast, which is all about all this kind of stuff that we talked about with a big emphasis on that intersection of, and the harmonizing of being a successful, ambitious woman and being a mom. Yeah. So you can find me. I'm at, at Lindsay Roselle on Instagram, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-R-O-S-E-L-L-E. I'm on all the other ones, but I don't post anywhere else. I actually don't really post on Instagram that much, but I do a lot of stories, love stories. Uh, and then Motherload Pod is the podcast Instagram. It's Motherload, L-O-A-D dot pod. And the podcast is called The Motherload Podcast. And it does explore this intersection and the attempt at harmonizing ambition to succeed and devotion to motherhood. And it all kinds of different guests on there, like not just moms. I've interviewed several people that are not mothers 
who speak to their perceptions of motherhood. They work like coaches that work with mothers and how it's different. And then how they were mothered. Like I loved also the conversation of learning how successful people were mothered and how much of an impact motherhood has on people, regardless of whether they themselves are a mother or not. So check it out. Yeah. It's awesome. It's my favorite thing. So, and actually one last question. Yeah. This one's kind of like selfish. Cause yes, I do. I do want to be a mom. Like I'm like in the space of like ready for my partner, for my like amazing man and all the babies and everything like that. So like, what, what is like a nugget of advice mm. you would give someone like me or that you would literally give me <laughs> if, about becoming a mother? Yeah. Becoming a mom and like the ambition and yeah, all I that. would say, I think the two biggest things I've learned is there's never perfect time. So like timing it or trying to like plan it is just, that's going to cause more stress than just letting it happen once you're ready. That was, I mean, my first child was a total surprise. Like if I knew what I know now, I would have never chosen like any time I would have never been like, now's a great time or my ambition could take a back seat. Like, no. So going with the flow, trusting, letting the nudges from the universe guide you into that, you know, and like definitely picking the right person as no brainer, obvious statement. And then the second thing is about getting help and hiring help. I, this is another thing that I think more people need to be candid about. Like we have a gaggle of nannies. We have a full-time nanny. We have two part-time nannies who help us in the evenings. We also pay for part-time childcare or daycare so that the boys can go happy in social situations two days a week. And then our older one is in kindergarten at halftime. So we have a lot of childcare. And also my family lives nearby. They're not super helpful, but like, you know, they're here in if they need. To. And so I never make it appear as though I'm doing it all. Like do not watch my children full-time and keep up with three or four different businesses. I don't do that. And you won't either. You have the means to hire help. You will want to hire help. You will desire to, if you want to keep your business going and you will need to, in order to show up fully present in work, if that's what you want, you know? And I wish that more people had said that to me when I was pregnant with my first child, because like just did a podcast this week where I was saying like, I went back to work to like, I work from homes, but like I was back working two weeks after having a massive C-section, unplanned C-section, huge like trauma delivery with a 10 pound baby and no help. And I was doing 30 to 40 hours a week of consulting with a two week old. And I'm like, why did I think that was like, are you Lindsay, (laughs) you know, like no wonder, you know, and I wish somebody had said it as strongly as I'm saying it. Like I would say to you, Lauren, like, do not try to do it with no help. Oh yeah. I'm already, I'm like, oh yeah. Even if I don't feel like I need it, there will be help because I, you know, yeah, this vision of still very much having my own life, which I know yeah. is like, we'll see. But like, I think it's possible, but you got to like fight for it. And, and you might not like want them to take the baby from you and have the baby all day, but you will want help and like, okay, then come do the laundry, put the dishes away, clean mm-hmm. the house, get the food ready. Like it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have childcare help only. It could mean you have household help or you have more work help. Like I have all of those things now because I'm at the level where I need all of those things. But like the, this kind of shadowy belief that you, all the people you see that are having babies and running businesses are doing it by themselves or like just with their husband. And you're like, it's like, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> you know, I remember years ago listening to Hollis's talk, like back in 2019 before everything blew up. And like they whispered it on a podcast episode one time where they were like, yeah, and we like, we also have a couple of nannies. And I was like, why are they? they're making millions of dollars. They're big influencers. Like, of course they have names. They have four kids. Like 
what, you know, like, why are we ashamed to admit that we need help? Like we used to mother in villages with our whole family there and the tribe and lots of aunties and sisters and stuff. Okay. That's not how the world looks anymore. You got to hire those people. Yeah. Do it. You know? So I like, cannot advocate that strongly enough that especially in the world of like, you also want to keep fulfilling your ambition. You're going to need help. Yep. Yeah. For it, available for it. So a healthy relationship with my feminine and I'm available to receive all yes. the support. <laughs> I will be that person commenting on like on your pregnancy enough and be like, get that care.com post up girlfriend. Like exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was such a cool conversation. I love talking to you about this kind of stuff. This was amazing. I'm sure everyone listening got a lot out of it. And so y'all be sure to check out Lindsay's podcast and Thanks for joining. Thank you. It was awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and if you know of somebody else who is bold, successful, and unapologetically owning their unique magic while they make a big impact in the world, please send them my way. And it would also mean the world to me if you help me get this message out to as many listeners as possible. So if you liked what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you would please take 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share this episode with your friends. Be sure to tag me so that I can say thank you. And until the next episode, keep showing up, keep using your voice, and keep being you. Because the world needs more of your magic. Yeah.